Good morning. Hope you've had a great weekend so far. Glad you're here to start a new week with us here at Great Oaks, worshiping God together on the first day of the week, just like God's people have done for 2,000 years. If you're visiting with us today, thank you. Thank you for being here. We're glad you're here. We always like our visitors to know who we're trying to be at Great Oaks. We are trying to simply be Christians. We put Church of Christ on the sign because we only claim the name of Jesus Christ. We don't want to be denominational. We don't think God wants that. We try to just follow Jesus. We try to just open the Bible and follow it as best we can. And we'd love for you to join us in that. And so if, you have, if you have any questions about Great Oaks, about Christianity, uh, we'd love to help in any way we can. We're trying to help each other get to heaven. And if we can help you in any way, please let us know. Really glad you're here. A couple things we're excited about today before we jump into our lesson. Today is day eight of our 40 days of prayer. If you have not been part of this with us yet, we hope you'll jump into it. The goal is to increase our personal prayer lives, to take time, a few minutes each day, however long it is, to put everything aside and just spend time in prayer. We get busy, we get distracted, and sometimes prayer is not a part of our life like it should be. We have prayer devotionals that we're posting online on our website, on Facebook, Coming out through our emails as well. We hope you can read those just as an encouragement to pray and take some time in prayer. So thank you for being part of that. Hope it's building your prayer life as we do this for 40 days. We've had several people baptized into Christ recently. Excited about that also. I hope to embarrass some of them in here as we go along. Um, but this morning, just let me mention one that's in our Spanish service. This is Edgar Lopez. Edgar is married to Rosabra. Uh, many of you know Rosabra. She's grown up here at Great Oaks. We have a lot of good memories of Rosabra from church camps and vacation Bible schools and all the other church-wide activities that she's been part of. Edgar and Rosabra were married a couple months ago. And then this last weekend, our Spanish group was over at a gospel meeting in Arkansas, and Edgar decided he was ready to give his life to Christ. So he was baptized into Christ last week. Be praying for Edgar. Be praying for all our new Christians. Uh, meet Edgar and Rosabra if you haven't. Uh, let them know you're praying for them. Excited for him. Also, I want to introduce Rick and Karen Davidson. Rick and Karen, can y'all stand up for just a second? Let everybody see you. This is Rick and Karen. They've been worshiping with us for a while. Uh, come to appreciate them very much. And they met with our elders a couple weeks ago to let them know they'd be like to be part of the Great Oaks congregation. Y'all can have a seat. I'll share a few things about you. Uh, so Rick and Karen were part of Great Oaks years ago. Uh, back near the very beginning in the 90s, uh, David Looney was the first minister here. And I understand it was back in the David Looney time. Uh, I've got to meet David since then. I love David. Uh, he, he comes in contact with Great Oaks through several different things. But they were here back when he was preaching here. Um, they've been married for 29 years. They have four children and eight grandchildren. Rick works at Sigma, at Sigma Supply. Karen works at Memphis OBGYN. For hobbies, they enjoy camping, University of Arkansas football, and their dog named Scout. So uh, if you haven't got to meet Rick and Karen, meet them. I appreciate them a lot. Um, had a son, they had a son in band, and we've got a son in band, so we talk about that a lot and some of the experiences of that. But uh, appreciate them a lot. Meet them if you haven't got to do that yet. Before we jump into our lesson, let's have a word of prayer. Let's pray together, and we'll get started. God, thank you for Sundays. Thank you for your day, that in your plan, you wanted your people to start the week by being reminded of who you are, by worshiping you, hopefully shaping our heart in the right direction, and trying to encourage each other. God, I pray we'll do all those things today. I pray you've already done them in many ways. God, we're thankful for the way you blessed us. We're thankful for our new Christians. We pray today for Edgar. and pray you bless him as he begins his Christian walk. We pray for Colby and for Cody and for Cruz as they also have made that decision in the last week or so. 
God, bless them with your best blessings. Keep them faithful. We pray, God, that their sins have been washed away and that they're ready to live for you. Please use us to help them. God, we're thankful for Rick and Karen. We're thankful for their faith, for, for their kindness. We're, we're thankful that they're here at Great Oaks. Pray, God, we can encourage each other and serve alongside each other for many years to come. God, as we open your word for a few minutes this morning, I pray that it will challenge us, help our faith to grow stronger, and that we'll leave here ready to serve you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been challenging ourselves to grow in our faith this year. This has been the theme for the year. If you haven't been with us, let us arise and build, trying to encourage ourselves. Let's, let's build stronger faith wherever you're at in your faith. Whether you feel like you're at a good place or not, we want to be stronger. So we're trying to build it up. And we've had an occasional series, I guess you'd call it, uh, here in October, just a few weeks here and there. We've called Building the Wrong Things. Sometimes we don't build the right things in our life. We talked about the challenge of money. For a couple weeks, how sometimes we're, we're tempted to make our whole life about building up finances and building up some sort of security with our money and putting our trust in that rather than God. We don't want to go down that path. And I'd like us today to have another lesson in this series, not on the money perspective necessarily, but something I'm calling an important step toward revival. So here's what I'd like us to do. We're going to look at three revivals in the Old Testament during the time of the kings, but we're going to notice one thing that happens in all of them. And we're going to challenge ourselves to make that part of our own faith building this year. And I hope it'll be a good study. So you see here on the screen, the time of the kings from about 1050 to 586 BC. So 1050 was when Samuel anoints Saul to be the first king of Israel. They were in the promised land. They decided they wanted a king. Saul ruled as king. David ruled as king. Solomon ruled as king. And then the kingdom split into northern Israel and southern Judah. And in 586 B.C. is when Jerusalem was destroyed by Babylon and began that 70 years of exile. And so this was the time of the kings. Now, here's what would happen in the time of the kings. Often, depending on who the king was, Israel was faithful to God or not. It tells us a lot about the importance of spiritual leadership. Tells us a lot about the importance of somebody stepping forward to say, hey, let's follow God. Why have we not been following God? And so you have these revivals that come up from time to time. Because the people drift and they go into sin and they start following other gods and they build up temples and idols and altars to other gods until someone would finally step forward and say, this is not right. Look at what God's word says. We've got to change. And so there was this up and down element to the time of the kings in the people's faith. So let's look at three revivals briefly and what happened. Number one, the revival of Asa. Asa is the third king of the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, so I guess the sixth king overall. You got Saul, David, Solomon, and then the split. So Asa is ruling and the people have already drifted in a bad direction. The passage to write down, we're not going to read all the verses, but the passage to write down is 2 Chronicles 15 1 through 15. So the Spirit of God comes on this prophet named Azariah, the son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa, the king, and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. If you're thinking about revival in your own life, if you're thinking about building up your faith 
to a place that it hasn't been. I hope that verse is an encouragement to you. Because listen to what he says. If you want to be with God, God wants that. God wants to stand with you. And as you draw near to God, the way James 4.8 says it, God draws near to you. And so there is always, there's always hope for turnaround. There is always a chance to build stronger. And so the prophet tells Asa that. God is with you. Now, if you want to leave him, God will let you leave. That's not what he wants. God wants you to be with him. So when we seek him, God blesses that. And he says, for many days, Israel didn't have the right teaching priests. They didn't follow the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord God. They sought him and he let them find him. That's what God does. When we seek him, he lets us find him. Verse 7, skipping down. But you, Asa, because he knows Asa's got a revival to lead. You be strong and do not lose courage. For there is reward for your work. Do what you're thinking about doing, Asa. Stand with God. Watch what he does. Watch what the people do as they come alongside you. And so when Asa hears the words there in verse 8, it says he took courage, just like the prophet told him. He took courage. Notice what he did. He removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. He then restored the altar of the Lord, which was in front of the porch of the Lord. And again, so you say, where did all those abominable idols come from? The people had drifted. They were going back and forth, and they had set up these idols to to pray to these other gods to give them rain and to give them food and to give them protection. They were not listening to the one true God to do that for them. And so we got to tear all those things down before we can get started in the right direction. And so that's what they do. They have this tearing down and this rebuilding, and then they enter into the covenant, verse 12, to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and soul. And I hope that's us. God, I want to seek you with all my heart and soul. Not part of it, not a little bit of it, all my heart and soul. Verse 15, all Judah rejoiced concerning the oath, for they had sworn with their whole heart and had sought him earnestly, And he let them find him. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. A great revival. Notice some of the things that happened, because we'll see it in all four. So let me just point out, or all three. Let me point out a few things here. The word of God came. Revival always begins by a renewed listening to the word of God. They had to tear down some things. They had to rebuild some things. And they had to recommit themselves. I'm going to follow the Lord. Second one, the revival of Hezekiah. We'll see some of those same themes. So we dwelled on them a little bit more there. But uh, Hezekiah's got a bigger section. We won't read a bigger section. But Hezekiah, the passage to write down is 2 Chronicles 29, verse 30, or sorry, chapters 29 through chapter 31. 2 Chronicles chapters 29 through 31. Again, this is the revival of Hezekiah. So Hezekiah is much later. He is the 13th. King. So Asa was the third of the split kingdom. Uh, Hezekiah is the 13th. Again, we've had some up and down. Hezekiah's got a lot of work to do and he encourages the people to turn back to God. One of the things they're going to do that Hezekiah's revival is known for, they renew the Passover. You remember the Passover was that great celebration of God leading the people out of, out of Egypt. How they put the blood on the doorway and the angel passed over the people. And so they celebrated that night that they left Egypt uh, on and on every year until Jesus would take that Passover night and make it a Lord's Supper remembrance as he would do with his, men, with his ministry right before he died. But notice a few verses here. 
So Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. And so everybody comes together in Jerusalem once again, like we haven't been doing to celebrate the Passover again. Notice verse 14. They had some things to tear down. They arose and removed the altars which were in Jerusalem. They also removed all the incense altars and cast them into the brook Kidron. Then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th of the second month. So they gather the people together, tear down the things that shouldn't be there, start doing the things we should be doing, and now we're celebrating the Passover. There's great joy, verse 26 says, because they hadn't done anything like this since the days of Solomon. We don't know if that means they hadn't been keeping the Passover since Solomon's days, or it may just mean they haven't been keeping it like this, like they should have been keeping it, with joy and with energy and with love for God. But then notice this, how how his Passover revival ends. The people go back home, chapter 31, verse 1. When all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah, broke the pillars in pieces, cut down the asherim, pulled down the high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin. What are they doing? They're destroying all those idol worship things that never should have been there. Before we can start building, we got some things we got to tear down. And so all the people go back home and they say, we need to get rid of all these things that never should have been here to begin with. Number three, the revival of Josiah. Josiah is the 16th king. There were 20 of them in the southern kingdom of Judah. So we've seen Asa the third, Hezekiah the 13th, Josiah the 16th. He's the last good king. Um, because it, it's going to roll down from Josiah and the people are going to be taken into exile. But Josiah leads this one last revival. And, and the passage to write down is 2 Chronicles chapters 34 and 35. Here's what you may remember about Josiah's revival. They found the book of the law. It had been lost. They, they didn't have Moses' law written. They, they'd set it back in the temple somewhere and it got lost. And so they're cleaning out the temple and they find it. Can you imagine People who had drifted so far, they didn't even have Bibles anymore. And so they find the word of the law back in the temple. And so they bring it and they read it to King Josiah. And King Josiah, to his credit, says, we have not been doing right. We need to listen to this word of God. Again, revival begins with the word of God. It always does. And so he listens to it. And they start the same process we've seen in these other revivals. Verse 31. The king, he gathers everybody in Jerusalem. I'm going to read chapter 34, verses 31 through 33. The king stands in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant written in this book. Do you think that was powerful? To have, a, have the king stand up and say to the people, Guys, I'm going to give my whole life to trying to follow this book. And I hope you will too. And the people join in. They say, we're with you. And they follow along. And verse 32 says, Moreover, he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand with him. And they did. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Josiah removed all the abominations. Again, they, they've come back in. We've got to get rid of them again. All the abominations from all the lands belonging to the sons of Israel. 
and made all who were present in Israel to serve the Lord their God. Throughout his lifetime, they did not turn from following the Lord God of their fathers. You notice some common themes in these revivals. God's word speaks again. People listen with good hearts. They recommit themselves to follow it. They've got to tear down some things, and they've got to rebuild some things. Here's what I want us to really notice for, for the one thing to take away for this morning. When they committed themselves to seek the Lord, their first step was to start tearing down what should not be there. Did you notice that in all three? We've let these idols creep in. We've let these false altars be built around our, our kingdom. They shouldn't be there. They're a disgrace to God. We've got to tear those things. We have built the wrong things. And it's time to tear those things down for us to really draw near to God. Let's spend a few minutes thinking about that idea. That if we want to draw closer to God, to build our faith, there's probably some things we're going to have to tear down. There's always something we leave behind when we come to the cross. Jesus leaves behind heaven to come to the earth. Jesus leaves behind uh, all, the, all the wonderful things that people want to enjoy in life. He leaves all that behind to go through the suffering of the cross. And as we follow Jesus, we do the same. We leave things behind to come to the cross. An important step in building our faith is to, is to unbuild. So let's start by saying this. Sin produces bad things. How do those things get there? Sin. The more we let sin into our life, the more bad things it builds. And soon our heart is filled with idols and altars and our life is filled with, with sin problems and sin stains and darkness that never should have been there. We've got to deal with that. We've got to let God help us deal with that if we're going to move forward. What did God tell Cain the very first time the word sin is mentioned in the Bible? Uh, Cain and Abel, you might remember Cain is going to kill his brother Abel. But as he's thinking about it, when the anger is building in Cain, God says to him in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 4, If you do well... Will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Sin is trying to master you. Sin is trying to take over your life. You've probably seen people. I have too. You've probably seen it in your life in times. I have too. Where sin has taken a hold in ways that it shouldn't. And soon people are not themselves. They're not talking right. They're not acting right. They're not thinking right. They've let sin get a hold of their life. God says to Cain, that's what it wants to do. It's building things in your life and your heart that should not be there. And that's going to take time to unbuild. It's going to take time to deal with that. If you heard Logan's scripture reading a few minutes ago, it's from 1 John chapter 2. Where he talks about how sin... Uh, we shouldn't love the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Those are things sin builds in us that should not be there. We've got to try to get them out. So sin is producing bad things. We've got to remove them so we can build. I was uh, in Mississippi earlier this year, and a preacher at the congregation I was visiting with um, showed me, went, went to his house and, and ate dinner and just spent some time together and showing me his backyard and a beautiful backyard. He'd strung lights and put out uh, patio-type stuff and seats, and it was just really nice. But what he, he explained the process. You could tell he was proud of it, and he should have been. It was about a third of an acre area, a big, big area. He said this whole section was just grown up. 
with weeds and vines and junk. And he said, and then all in between it, he said there were, there were these big rocks, there was trash, people would, people would just dump things through the years. And so he said, when, when 2020 happened and the pandemic and everybody was stuck at home, he said, I started that process of just getting all that junk out, bit by bit, bit by bit. And it had to get trucks and had to get help and had to, had to cut the yard and spray stuff. It was a long process to even get started. But once he got all that stuff removed, you know what he could do? He could start building things that really were in the right direction. And it looked great. You would never know, you would never know the past. You would never know the struggle he'd been through, the years and years of working on it. But that's what happens as we're transforming our life. There are, there are two steps going in there. You're removing things and you're putting in things. As Ephesians chapter 4 describes it, we're constantly taking off our old self, the old self of sin, all the things that were built that shouldn't have been there, and we're replacing it with the new self in Jesus Christ, the new self that has all the things that should be there in God that God provides for us. Will you brainstorm with me for a couple minutes on some things that maybe we might need to remove? And I, just, and I want us all just between us and God, between you and God. Try to make this as personal as you can. What, what do you need to remove this morning to really draw near to God? What needs to be taken out of your life or your heart or your, or your, your habits to really draw close to God? Let me present some things that may be there. Let's start simple. It may be a sin. There may be a sin that has grown up in your life, and it's still there. And if you're going to draw closer to God, you're going to have to deal with that sin. You have to get it out. Don't, don't just let it stay and think it's not a big deal. Sin is always a big deal. Don't let it stay there. With the help of God, get that out of your life. Don't let it grow. Don't let it remain. Sometimes we let sin build up. What about idols? Maybe there's an idol in your life. I read this last week. The same idea we brought up with the money um, lessons. But this author was saying one way to think about sin, it's not just doing wrong things. Uh, it is that. But sometimes sin is making good things into ultimate things. I think he's right about that. Sometimes we can take good things, th neutral things like money, and make them ultimate things. Things like doing well at your job, life goals, success, the way you look, a relationship. Sometimes we can take good blessing things and turn them into ultimate things, and they become idols. And they become things we, in our hearts, we, we put above God. And if we have to choose one or the other, we find ourselves choosing that over drawing closer to God or serving God. Maybe there's an idol in your life that you need to, you need to move down a few shelves and put God back at the top. Maybe it's selfishness that you need to get out of your life that has built up over time. We can all be selfish. So much of, so much of sin is selfishness. But maybe you've been treating people with selfishness. Maybe you've let selfishness become something about your time or your Sundays or, or, or your, your, your time with the Lord. Selfishness can manifest itself in a lot of ways. Maybe that's what needs to be torn down for you to move forward. Maybe busyness. Maybe we can all repent of this one together. Uh, we want to do things in life. You want to accomplish things in life. And there's so many options, so many things you want to do. Can't do them all. You got, you're on a timeline, a limited timeline like all of us are. But we, sometimes we try to. And we let God get pushed out to, to try to pursue all these other things. Maybe we've made too many commitments. And maybe to draw close to God, one of the first things I'm going to have to do is start saying no to some things. 
Or maybe backing off of some of those commitments that aren't as important. Say, God, I'm going to make sure I have some margin so that you're not getting left behind in life. And by, let me say one more thing on that. There's a new book that, uh, that's come out about, I think it's called The Great Dechurching. A couple of my friends have told me about it. I hope to share some more things about it with you in coming weeks. Um, it's called The Great Dechurching. What they suggest is that 40 million people had just sort of stopped going to church in the last few decades here in America. He says three-fourths of them are not against Christianity. They're not against faith. They're not angry or had bad experiences. They just got busy. They started doing other things. And they said the number one reason that they found in the research that people are no longer going to church, the number one reason given was, I moved. I moved. I moved to a new town. I just started doing things, got busy, didn't make faith a priority. We're, maybe us, we're surrounded by people, and sometimes we're the people who just let busyness get in there, and God gets left behind. Maybe busyness is the altar that needs to get torn down for us to draw close to God. Maybe there's a bad influence in your life. Maybe, you, maybe it started by you hoping to be a good influence, but it's become a bad influence on you. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a TV show. Maybe it's a movie. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a job, workplace, and, and it, it seemed fine, but now it's, it's holding you back in your faith. Maybe you need to find a way to rework that relationship, that influence, so that it's not pulling you away from the Lord. And the last one I've got, maybe there's a heart problem. Maybe you've let anger or bitterness, or frustration grow in your life, and it's holding you back from who you should be. And maybe one of the first big steps in your faith to draw close to God, I need to, I need to get rid of that. When revival happened in Scripture, God's Word spoke anew, and there was always this tearing down process. What do I need to get out that sin has built? I've been building the wrong things through the influence of sin. What do I need to do to get that out of my life. Let's not forget that step of revival, and maybe let's work on it in our lives today. I hope all of us are wanting to draw closer to God. I hope all of us are trying to build our faith. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, great section about how there's an appointed time for everything. I've underlined a section in verse 3. There's a time to tear down, and there's a time to build up, and you need both. What do we need to tear down so we can build our faith back up where it needs to be? My last question for you this morning, you say, how do I do that? How do I do it? Well, there's good news. You're not on your own. God doesn't just say, go fix that and then come talk to me. That's not the way God does it. Ephesians 3.16, Paul prays that God would grant us, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. Paul prays that God will strengthen us, that God will live in us, inside us, the inner man. You see out there? God living in us to strengthen us. As Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God doesn't say, you go fix yourself and then come talk to me. God says, I'm going to help. And so let's end with that good news. God offers us His strength to help us tear down the idols, to help us get rid of the things that shouldn't be there. And He gets us back on the right path with His grace and strength alongside of us. And maybe this morning that's what you need to do. Don't try to do it on your own. You you probably can't do it on your own. What we all do, we recognize we're sinners and we come to the Lord. We recognize we're failing and we come to God and He helps us with the process of taking off the old man and putting on the new man. If you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ, we hope you're thinking about that. Uh, Let us know if you have questions about baptism. 
Here in Acts chapter 2, that's what they show us. They show us about becoming a Christian. Peter's preaching, and he says in verse 36, God has made Jesus Lord and Christ. And they ask in verse 37, they're pierced to the heart. They believe it. We're sinners. We failed. We killed Jesus. What do we do? Peter says, repent, turn your life around, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, God living in you, strengthening you, strengthening you, helping you change. If you're ready to become a Christian this morning, we're about to sing a song of invitation. If you'd like to do that privately, let us know privately, but maybe you'd like to come before the whole church family. Say, I'm ready. I'm ready to give my life to Christ, to have my sins washed away. We'd love to see you do that. Or if we can pray for you about anything going on in your life this morning, we'd love to do that as well. If you need to respond publicly in any way, you're invited to come to the front now while we stand, while we sing. Show me in convicting tears the glories of your crown. My heart is hard, my soul.